0: We're going to come to the point of the service where we open God's Word and have it explained to us. I'm going to invite Andy up in just a moment, but let me read the passage that is before us this evening. We're going to read from James chapter 4. I'll let you find that. And we're going to read from verses 13 to verse 17. You boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let's pray as Andy comes and joins us. Lord God, we thank you for Andy. We thank you for the preparation that he's put in and the time that he's spent with you in the weeks coming up to this. We thank you for the way you've spoken to him, and what he's prepared for us this evening. We pray that you would speak through his lips, and may we receive from you what you have to say to us, and have the courage to put it into action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andy.
1: Thank you, Chris. Can't tell you how good it feels to be back with you, and... uh, Thank you so much that, uh, for those who don't know, I've, I've been a little unwell over recent weeks, and uh, your messages and calls and, uh, have been really irritating. Uh, no, they've been, they've been so appreciated. So thank you so much. And if you're tuning in from Sanderstead, I feel so guilty. I'm so sorry that uh, I wasn't able to fulfill my commitments with you over the uh, previous few weeks. But I hope very soon that we'll be able to get together again. Um, James, yeah before we even started this study uh, Dan uh, who, uh, Dan organized a Zoom meeting for all the people who were going to be speaking on uh, through this study in James it was one Saturday morning and it was a it was a real blessing and one of the things that we did uh, on that uh, uh, meeting was we read the whole book and uh, it's surprising what you see when you read a whole book as it was designed to be read. Of course, being in church, we have no option. We're constrained by time, and we have to to divide up our messages, these books, into just manageable bite sized chunks. Uh, But it's a good thing also at home to read through these books as as they were intended to be read all together. And I'm absolutely certain that if you did that, maybe start with James, if you did that, you will see things that you've not noticed before. And uh, part of that meeting as well, after we had read the whole book of James, it didn't take many minutes really, um, Dan invited us to say, well, let's just share things that we have spotted as we read the whole book, uh, that maybe we didn't see before, and we all contributed uh, what we had seen. Um, and something that Andy Mayo said just stuck with me. He said, it was like being on a helter-skelter. Helter-skelter is one of those slides that goes round a tower. Uh, and uh, if you can imagine a, a helter-skelter, and maybe next to it, there's a church with a spire, and, and you, you, you go past that church and you see the spire, and then it's out of sight. And then you think you're not gonna see it again, but there it is again, as you've come round. And then it goes out of sight again, and you go round, and there it is again. And Andy, uh, I hope I'm quoting him correctly, Andy said, it's like that with James. He deals with something, he says something, and then you, you think he's finished, and he's gone on to something else, and then a couple of chapters later, he's back on that thing that he, that he introduced. we we got an example in our own passage this morning, this evening. We've got a couple of examples, really. Um, The last verse in our reading says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And here, James is reintroducing this concept of sin. And it's not the first time uh, that he's done it. If, If we went right back to chapter one and verses 14 and 15, we see, and the context is exactly the same, We see that James is teaching that if we allow ourselves to be led by our own selfish desires, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. It's an awful thing. And it's something that you you think that sin is going to deliver so much joy, so much satisfaction, so much pleasure, but the reality is that it doesn't deliver anything like that. And you end with heartbreak and remorse and disappointment. And that very same theme, just as you thought it was over in chapter 1, James brings it back uh, in chapter 4. And in verse 17 uh, that we've just read, he's saying, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do but doesn't do it, sins. And the context is exactly the same. In the verses that we, I'm going to start with this last verse and then move backwards to the other verses. But when we get to those other verses in our passage, you'll see the context. It's the same. It's people being driven by their own selfish desires to get what they want without reference to the living God. Now, I have to say, when you look at this verse, at first it appears unfair, doesn't it? You say, well, I haven't done anything. But you knew you ought to do something. And if you don't do what you know that you ought to do, you know, you can't be tried for that in a, in a, in a court of law, can you? You, you? you can't say, well, I charge you with not doing anything. But that's the difference between a normal walk, if you like, and our walk with God. With our, in our walk with God, even not doing things can be very wrong. It's always been that way. Maureen and I have been going through Exodus in the mornings uh, and um, as you remember Exodus deals with the law, God's law, God's new blueprint for how to live differently, distinctively, comes to us through Moses And, and one of these laws is this, Exodus 23 verse 4. It says, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off Be sure to take it back to him. You see, what God expects from us is the absolute opposite of our instinct, isn't it? In fact, if I went to the next verse, we read that these enemies hate us. Can you imagine it? You know that you've got an enemy and this enemy hates you. And then one day you're walking down the lane and you see someone's left the gate open and your enemy's prized donkey has gone through the gate and is clip, clip-clopping its way out of town. My instinct would be to say, serve him right. <laughs> that's my instinct. My instinct would be to do a, a calculation in my head and say, well, that's going to cost him. Couldn't have happened to a nicer person. That's my instinct but it's not what should be in my heart if I'm walking with God. And he says, no, you just make sure you take it back to him. And what is he doing? By so doing, you are building relationships uh, with other people. As I said, it's not instinctive, but it is distinctive. And if I could link to what we've also been looking at over recent weeks, the Sermon on the Mount, There's so much there when Jesus was teaching his disciples. uh, 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 Again, it's a new way of living. He was really saying you need to be distinctive. You need to stand out. You need people to recognise that in you, in me, there is something different. And so when when we read about... Turning the, the, the other cheek or going the second mile or giving your coat to someone who's already stolen from you. It's all about being distinctive as a Christian. And on that same sermon, if we looked at Matthew 5, verse 16, here's the wonder of it Jesus tells us, tells those who follow him, that people will see these works, they will see what you do, and they will give praise to our Father in heaven. Isn't that marvellous? I find that absolutely staggering, that someone could look at me, look at you, and actually see beyond us and through us and past us and give praise to our Father in heaven. Now, you might say to me, well, how, how do I know the good that I ought to do? You know, there's no magic answer. Um, And I would just say things that you've heard a hundred times before if you've been to the church, you know. Do you read the Bible? Do you know, if you read the Bible, I'm absolutely certain if you're anything like me, when you read the Bible, thoughts come into your mind, people come into your mind. You read it and you suddenly realise what you ought to be doing. That's how it works. Uh, Do you pray? When we pray, we often forget, I think, that prayer is two-way. Sometimes I I would get distracted and I I would be praying and something would come into my mind and I I would get irritated by it because I was trying to pray, not realizing that God is speaking through that time of prayer. Maybe when we pray, we ought to have more times of quiet, of silence and just listen for that voice of God. So when you're praying and someone comes into your mind or something comes into your mind... That could be the good that you ought to be doing. You know, make a note of it. Don't forget it. Don't think of it as an interruption. But just question, is this God? Is this God speaking to me? Or when you're listening even to talks like this, as we do week after week, God will prod us. The Holy Spirit will just touch our hearts, bring something to mind, something that we ought to do, It's not, as they say, rocket science. It will happen in a very natural way with our walk with God. Or let's get back onto. And is helter-skelter. Uh, we're going round again. And another thing that James keeps coming back to, which is in our passage tonight, is people chasing after wealth. Again, we, we first went round that circuit back in uh, chapter 1, verse 11. That verse introduces rich men going about their business. I want you to just see that word there. Going about their business. It's what they want to do. And then in chapter 4, we had this a couple of weeks ago, beginning of chapter 4, uh, we're told about people who are praying with wrong motives. And we're not told what they were praying, but we are told that they had the wrong motives. And we're also told what their motive was because we read in verse 3 that it says that they wanted to spend what you get on your pleasures. So if you put two and two together, you must. we must see that part of their prayer was that their businesses would be successful, that through their businesses they would become rich. And when they became rich, they intended to spend what they got on their pleasures. Uh, uh, And we've gone round again on our helter-skelter, and we're back there. Chapter 4, verse 13, our passage is talking about, listen, you who say today, tomorrow, go to this city, go to that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and do what? And make money. This was in their psyche. This was in their sights. Making money. It's always been like that. I was thinking back to my early days in the office. I'm going back, I don't know, 35 years. There was a time when people, quite a a fair number of people who I worked with, they left for one of two reasons. Either to go and work in Dubai. At that time, Dubai was a growing economy. They wanted to attract people to go and and support that growing economy. Now, Dubai wasn't the best place. You get a suntan, but there was all sorts of restrictions living and working in Dubai, but people said, say, well, never mind that. Look at the money. Look what I could earn. And the other thing was was oil rigs. Surprisingly, how many people left clerical jobs, uh, office work, to go and work on oil rigs. Were they attracted to oil rigs? No. (laughs) Were they attracted to the North Sea? No. Did they know anything about oil? No. But the money... The money they could earn, and that was all that they would talk about. If I go there, work there six months, I could have this much or that much. If I wanted to make money today, I would start a betting company. Because millions of people in our country are so enamored with that idea of having wealth that they spend money that they haven't really got. In order to have this hope that one day if their horse comes in, if their football team wins or whatever it might be, they would have this wealth. Of course the only people who really have the wealth are those who start the betting companies. You might have heard of a lady called Denise Coates. Denise Coates is the chief executive of the Bet365 company. What a name, Bet365. Can you see what they're saying? Every day of the week, we're open. Every day of the year, we're open. 365 days a year, we're open. You can have a bet every day, enticing people to spend what they haven't got. Denise Coates, that chief executive of Bet365, her salary last year was £468 million. Where did it come from? From the pockets of people who can't afford to bet, but have this vision that wealth is the answer. So that lady earns 890, she doesn't earn it, that lady receives 890 pounds every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of 365 days a year. In the brief time that I've spoken about her, she's earned another 1,500 quid. Amazing. Wealth. So how does James deal with it in our passage? He first of all reminds people, reminds us how short life is. And you might say, "Well, that sounds odd. Because for me, life seems long. The days seem long. But what are you comparing it to? You see, the Bible is, uh, is the most wonderful love story there could ever be, with the best ending that there could ever be. And that ending is life everlasting with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus now, when you compare life everlasting to our time here on earth, we will look back, honestly, and we'll say it was, it, it was just a moment. It, it was there one moment, and, and then it was gone. And that's what James says in verse 14 of our passage. He says, you are like a mist that just vanishes, just dissipates. You're there one moment, and then you're gone. So getting back on that, the helter-skelter, we go back. He's already covered this. Verse 10 of chapter 1, he talks about the rich will pass away like a wild flower. Verse 11 of that chapter, like a beautiful blossom fades away. The rich will fade away while he goes about his business. Can you see this recurring theme that James is saying, this person who's got his sole focus is on wealth, making money by what he does, He'll suddenly go. He'll suddenly go and he'll, not, he'll be focusing on that very thing, doing his business, and then he'll go. Life will end like a wildflower. Suddenly, it's snuffed out. If anything, that should change our perspective of how we look at this life and the life to come. It should change, I believe, our consideration uh, uh, about whether it's worth storing up treasure here or whether it's worth storing up treasure there. I was amazingly, I've had a long time in bed over recent days, I've listened to a lot of radio, and I was listening to Radio 4, it's about a fortnight ago now, and on it they had an executive from the Rolls-Royce Motor Company, and he was there saying that Rolls-Royce now offer a service where you can design your own Rolls-Royce. And they will build it for you, what you want, to the the, the famous Rolls Royce quality. Just think, your very own unique Rolls Royce. And they they asked the cost. It's a mere, roughly, 20 million. A mere 20 million. But what staggered me was this. They said, why would anyone, to this person, why would anyone spend 20 million on a car now? do you know what he said he said this I, I keep a little notepad by my bed and I was so struck by this I I wrote it down immediately and I thought I had this service in mind you know <laughs> he said now Covid is with us people view life in a different way they may know people for whom Covid has ended their life prematurely And therefore, they buy a £20 million Rolls-Royce because, this is his words, it pleases their soul. It pleases their soul. You see, God is the author of our soul. And when you contrast that concept to what God tells us in his word about our soul, what does it profit a man They say, the Bible says, to gain everything, the whole world, and then forfeit your soul. We have in Luke in chapter 12, don't we, that that parable of the, the, the rich farmer whose barns aren't big enough to hold what he's got, and he's looking at the future and saying, I never have to work again, I've got plenty, I can relax and eat and drink and be merry and not have another care in the world. And the response was, you fool. Today, your life's required of you. For that man, that was the last day of his life. So what should our attitude be? Well, our attitude, we see it in verse 15 of our passage. It says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will to do this or to do that that's what our attitude ought to be we ought to be saying if it's the lord's will this is what i want to do this is what this is the place i want to go and in one sense this sounds so easy but i'd like to share with you that how i have found this increasingly and personally challenging those in the o'call family know our own situation Um, but if you're tuning in and you don't know just in a sentence i have a i have a wife who's here and she's a wife i love but she has a condition that the medical profession say sorry there's there's nothing we can do so every day with others i've been praying for healing it's my will it's what i want And I am finding it increasingly difficult to add to that prayer those kind of words that I used to just add as if they were just a blase thing. Nevertheless, if it's your will for something else, that's fine. Can you see I'm not there? I want my will so much that I don't want to open the door to somebody else's will. Changing What I want to happen, I I hope that makes sense. You see, when life is good and easy and everything's going your way, oh, it's so easy to, to praise God and to believe that we are walking in his will. I'm old enough to remember that I went to school at a time when the Lord's Prayer was recited every morning at assembly. Your kingdom come, your will be done. How many times have I prayed that in my life? Hundreds, thousands, your will be done. Or, or in praying for specific things, praying those words, Lord, if it's your will, may this happen, or may that happen. But for many people, life turns unexpectedly challenging. Um, I, I have thanked you already for the for the many cards and calls that I've received, but I just brought one that came from uh, John and Joyce tonight. John and Joyce, if you're listening tonight, I really appreciated the card that you sent. Thank you so much. Just one sentence from this card. I'm sure, John and Joyce say, I'm sure, like us, you didn't expect your retirement years as they now are. Isn't that what verse 14 says? you do not even know what's going to happen tomorrow and i didn't know what was going to happen in my tomorrow and therefore it's hard sometimes to end your prayers oh lord if it's your will let this other thing happen because my will it's a struggle i hope i'm making sense I hope I'm making sense. God is taking me on a journey to that point where I can say, hand on heart, Lord, whatever your will is, that is what I want. And I'll confess to you, I'm not there. I'm not there yet, but I recognise that God is with me. And I recognise that God is is taking me on this journey. I I want to share that with you because, you know, I, I just know that sometimes people... People watching, uh, other people like me standing on a stage like this, teaching or preaching, y- you think our lives are sorted. But they're not. They're not. We still have our troubles. We still have our challenges. And, 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 and that is mine at the moment. I've been, I've been challenged by Mary. You know that teenage girl and God sent that message to her and if I might paraphrase that message, it was, I'm going to turn your life, Mary, upside down. And you're going to have a baby. And it's going to be born of the Holy Spirit. Just think. Just think what the people around must have thought. Just think of the, 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 the abuse that she must have suffered. But she never said, no, 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 I don't want that. Do you remember what she said? Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was able to say, Lord, if that is your will for me, that is what I want. That is the only thing that I want. Of course, the greatest example is our Savior himself. Uh, On the slopes of of the Mount of Olives, sometimes called Gethsemane as well, with the next day holding for him unimaginable horror He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass me by. And then without a moment's hesitation, he says, but not my will, but yours be done. And that's my challenge. And it might be that you're in a similar place to me and it might be a challenge to you. Can you really say with all your heart, you know, the only thing I want in life is for the will of the Father, It's made me also look at a very famous verse, and I will share this because it helped me and it might help you if you're on a similar journey. Romans 8, 28, it's one of those verses that so many people know, we learn it off by heart. For we know that all things work together for good for them that love God. And you sometimes look at circumstances going on in your own life and you say, do you know, I cannot see the good in it. I can't see how that is good. And it made, me, it made me reread that verse and see it in a new way and see that one word that is in the middle of it together. It does not say everything that's happening in your life is good and we couldn't accept it if it did say that, could we? We know that it's not. We know there are things happening in our lives that are not good. But we have a sovereign God who is able to work all things Together, that's bringing together the good and the bad, things we see and know and things that we cannot see and cannot know. He brings all those things and he works those things, bringing them together for the good of them that love God. Yeah, not everything is good, but God is good. And I know that he wants me and he wants you to trust him. Now, I'm going to end in a strange place, in a way. Um, Because I began to think about Christian service. And I began to think, well, there's lots of people, of course, who are involved in in Christian business, so to speak. Either paid and full-time, or unpaid and part-time, or just doing something on a Tuesday or a Thursday night, or something like that. But nonetheless, in Christian service. And I just wanted to ask the question, and I asked the question of myself this passage that we've looked at tonight, can it relate to Christian service? Can Christians working for the Lord have this same attitude of, I'm only going to get out of this what I want? And Jesus told a parable which, to me, says the answer to that question is yes. You'll have to, we haven't got time to read it or look it up, Uh, but you'll know it when I begin to just remind you which one it is. You can find it in Matthew chapter 20, So, so do have a look at that at home when you've got time. It depicts a vineyard owner. And of course, it's a picture of God. God owning this vineyard and wanting to call people into that vineyard in his service. And so he goes and he hires people. He hires some at the beginning of the day. And then throughout the day, he hires other people. And finally, he hires people with only an hour to go. And they all go and work in his vineyard. And then it's a difficult parable to understand because at the end we read that they're all paid the same. And again, our instinct comes in and it says, it doesn't, doesn't seem fair, really, except... And I want to give a plug as well for when you're studying, use all sorts of versions. I know you've got your favourite version. I've got my favourite version of the Bible. But sometimes you look at another version and it just has a word or or, or a phrase or just says something slightly differently and a light comes on. And for me, that's the authorised version. Because those people that he hired at the very beginning of the day... It says, in the authorised version, it's not so clear in the NIV, but in the authorised version it says, he agreed with them what their money should be. He agreed with them. It was their demand. They were the the people waiting to be hired, and they were saying effectively to the vineyard owner, if you want me to serve you, you must pay us a denarius a day. You'll not get us, we'll not come and work for you unless you give us what we want. And it says he agreed with them. That was the only time it happened. And and you sort of think, surely, surely you you wouldn't do that in the Lord's service, would you? Yes, you would. Yes, you would. People do. And I I know of a church, it's nowhere near here, so don't start thinking, oh, I wonder if it's that one. Nowhere near here. Who, Who appointed a new minister... And, and they were offered a home, a manse, a very comfortable place to live. You wouldn't have thought so by what they said. The shelves are too high. The breakfast bar's too low. The kitchen's the wrong colour. And they literally came up with a list of things saying, if you want us to work for you in this church, these are the things that need to be put right. They didn't last too long in that church, which was a, a, a good thing. But can you believe it? That can be our attitude. Even working for the Lord. What's in it? What's in it for me? And then came the end of the day. And when you read that parable for yourself, you'll realize that it's only the people who were hired first, they were the people who moaned. They had a moan, they had a gripe. And they said, hang on a minute, you're not being fair. We've worked all day. And all you've given us is a denarius. And the vineyard owner says, that was your terms. That's what you demanded, and you've got it. I've paid you in full. But the others, the others, they got more than they anticipated, more than they expected. They'd even say more than they deserved. What was said to them when he went out to get the workers? He just said, go and work in my vineyard, and... In modern parlance, he said, I'll do what's right by you. I'll pay you what's right. But well, what's right in God's eyes and what's right in human eyes is two entirely different things. And they realised that he was a most generous employer. Uh, I hope this is making sense, because what, what I'm saying is that, and in fact, he said it, the, the vineyard owner said to those who are moaning Are you envious because I'm generous? That's a picture of our God. And he calls us into his service, and he effectively says to us, I'll see you right. I'll pay you what's right. And ultimately, at the end of our service, at the end of our day, so to speak, we, like those other people, will realise that that employer is a generous employer, is a good employer, and we will from his hand receive more than we could ever expect, that we could ever imagine, and that we could ever deserve. And so I'll end tonight with just lifting our vision to this God who wants us to trust him. We might not understand a whole heap of things that are going on in our lives, but understand this. God is good God is generous, God is loving, God is trustworthy and ultimately we will receive from his hand more than ever that we can think or even imagine and so I end with the question which I ask myself so much over recent days, will I place myself completely in his hands will I trust him completely. I know, I know that I should. Amen.